has finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That really goes in up to three points. to episode 18 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Well, people, after a weekend in which Mourinho's Stretford Reds nearly exposed Chelsea's soft underbelly and Liverpool struggled to beat the team, we twatted 6-1 earlier this season, the Dippers doing their level best to make Huddersfield look good, we've only been and gone and landed another record. Yes, we now have got a record for most games unbeaten in the traditional 3 o'clock kickoff spot. The City winning 30, drawing 4 and losing 0. Against Burnley in this game, there were 5 different goal scorers and Guardiola is really building a fortress at the Etihad now. We've won every home Premier League game this season and 17 out of 19 last season. In this game, we also welcome back Joe Hart, winner of four golden gloves, as you know, with a training pitch mosaic, just like the one we did for Yaya. Okay, I'm delighted to be joined, as usual, by City fan legend Walter Smith. Hey, Walter, how are you? Very well indeed, very well indeed. It still uh, feels almost like summertime here, still in uh, the UK. And, of course, as always, we've got our very own Queen Victoria. Watch you, Vic. Hello. And because today is Bring Your Dad to Work Day at the BFTB pod, we've also got Victoria's dad, David Gregory. David, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. David, are you aware that you share a name with a very famous rock musician from the band XTC. Uh, no. So learning things here on the BFTB pod. And guys, as if that is not enough for you, we have a special guest in Colin Savage, a.k.a. Prestwich Blue, famous for his amazing city history episodes on the wonderful 9320 podcast. What ho, Colin? Hello. Hello. Good evening. Good morning, wherever you happen to be. How are you, Colin? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm good, that's all I can say. Okay, guys, so today we have a real crowded house in the pod tonight. I'm going to start off with Victoria. Victoria, do you remember what you wished for at the end of the last pod concerning Joe Hart? Uh, I did say that I I was hoping that he would get a really good welcome and then we'd spank a load of goals past him. What we did, posted on Twitter that we scored a goal for every trophy he won while he was with City, so that was very thoughtful of us. (laughs) Yeah, Victoria, you said let's welcome Joe Hart and let's put... Eight past him. Well, we got five, Walter, but if it wasn't for Joe Hart, it could easily have been eight, couldn't it, mate? Yeah, I thought uh, he was, uh, I thought he had a good game. Uh, I was just dreading, I was watching him at the beginning and he made a couple of decent saves and uh, I was just sort of uh, praying to the football gods and looking up at the clear blue skies in Manchester at the time thinking, uh, I hope he doesn't have a Dortmund performance against us where uh, it's all one-way traffic and somehow, somehow, you know, Burnley grab a draw, but there was as well as he played there was nothing he could have personally done about any of those goals they were just superb quality David I've got a lovely statistic here I think it's Walter's favourite City have scored five goals 27 times in a domestic match since Manchester United last did that what do you think about that stat? (laughs) well uh, it's an interesting stat and it doesn't surprise me in the slightest (laughs) 
Okay, I've got another opening question for Colin Savage. Colin, I've just got to ask you, and I'm going to invite everyone to jump in on this as well. If you've got two teams level on points, can you really say that you're top of the league when the other team has a plus 10 goal difference over you? That's a very interesting question and one I answered on Twitter earlier. Um, the, the, the excuse being put out by Liverpool fans is goal difference doesn't count when you've not played all the same teams. So goal difference only comes into it when you've played all 38 games and both of you have played the same teams but we know that's a nonsense argument goal difference is goal difference and in fact we they put one past Huddersfield we put five past them nah it's a stupid argument that if tiebreaker with most daft banners then they'd definitely be top Walter, what do you think about that stat? I know you love it. 27 times we've scored five goals since the last time United did it. Well, I mean, it just shows you how far, you know, the uh, the changing of the guard, so to speak, because, I mean, I remember, I mean, let's make no two bones about this. I remember watching some fantastic United teams, whether, you know, I just, I didn't like it, but I completely respected them. And, you know, you look, to, you know, I remember a, a lineup of Ronaldo, Rooney, and Tevez up at the top. You know, that's just um, that's just goals. It doesn't matter what way you cut it, that's just goals. And then you look at who they've got now in their team, and you think, who would you take from their team to ours? And there's not many. It's just a complete changing of the guard. And as far as the uh, equal on equal joint top, well, go go and have a look at the BBC, and they they love Liverpool, but they ain't going to put them on the top. And then go and ask United fans, were they happy, you know, in 2012 when they uh, finished equal top as well? You know, we shouldn't have had the bus parade and Aguero shouldn't have celebrated because we only came joint top. But, you know, you, you could see it in Phil Jones's face when you had to look at it, trudging off the pitch at Sunderland. Absolute scouse nonsense if that's what they're coming up with. So I'm going to ask this next question to both Gregory's senior and junior. Guys, there was a lovely thread on the Blue Moon forums tonight, and the title of that thread was Will We Ever Be Rubbish Again? And sing the chant, Where Were You When We Were Great? Victoria first. <laughs> Hopefully not in my lifetime. I've been through enough uh, in my short lifetime so far. I've done my days now. So, no, but no, I... I genuinely don't think so. But, you know, you never know with uh, what happens. I, I don't buy into the the um, nonsense when opposing fans say, you know, well, the shake's going to get bored of you at some point. And it's like, well, let's say, let's say he did decide to sell the club. He's obviously going to sell it to somebody else that's got a lot of money. So I don't think we're ever going to be in a position where we don't have any money in the club and then we go, I mean, that's what happened initially. It's not having the money to buy the players that you want to do what you want to do. Um, but no, I don't think that we will. It's the same. And I'm in my lifetime. Well, football is cyclical uh, and it, <laughs> exactly. it's our turn. Um, now, the comment but, Walter was yeah. making, going back to that United lineup, uh, Tevez, Rooney and, uh, and Ronaldo up front. Collectively, they didn't score 106 goals, I believe, because 106 goals in a Premier League season is a record held mm. by us. In terms of finance, you, know, you, you look at what finance was available and has always been available to them. We're just on a same platform now. Mm -hmm. But we, the big difference is we've got an absolutely stunning tactical, aware manager. I mean, who ever thought that Mascherano could play in central defence? Only one person. Mm -hmm. And we've got it. David, would you love to be able to one day sing the chant, Where Were You When We Were Great? Um, I'd like to, but I probably, I'm too polite, I suppose. I just like, I'd run a smile at them and say, yeah, 
yeah you know as victoria said and and people of my age even more so i remember going to main road where if you wanted a light for your cigarette you had to go and walk for several hundred years to find somebody who actually had a light you know mm-hmm. in in the you know 60s early 60s we were getting you know 11,000 people there so I've, I've done all that and i never thought that i would see in my lifetime a city team like this and to be able to actually share that now with victoria is sends me to bed every night a very happy dad <laughs> fantastic well let's go back to our team skipper walter walter on tactics and lineup here's my question for you when you saw that lineup did you think back three or back four and where did you think the Barnsley Beckenbauer, John Stones, was going to play when you saw the list of names on Twitter, I guess, for the first time? I suppose it's a bit difficult because I looked at the line, I looked at the team, and you've got to be thinking to yourself, is Mares going to be playing the right-back role? Are we going to be playing with the back three? You never know with the Peps. Peps, as I said, he's a weird bloke. I reckon, but he's a tactical, just masterclass genius. And he knows his teams inside out as well. And he was looking at, um, I saw the John Stones, and you don't know until you turn up at the ground. You know, I just feel sorry for the uh, the guy on Sky, whoever it is, has to put the teams into a certain particular shape when it comes to Pep, because you're going to be just thinking, well, I'll, I'll guess this week. Just going back slightly to what you said, um, the question before, I think football is cyclical. Uh, completely because if you ask United fans 10 years ago when we got beat 8-1 by Middlesbrough are you going to be you know this is a team that was winning the league three times on a, in, in a row you know if you go back to the 80s and told Liverpool fans the last time they won the league they wouldn't win the league until <laughs> God knows when you know well it's, it's still going isn't it you know they wouldn't be able to wrap their head around it and in some respects that might be us as well we can't see how or plan how the future's going to turn out. And uh, I listen to what David said about the the Pep, but I don't think it's just Pep. I think it's this idea of our club, whole club structure is completely different to the likes of United. And if United got rid of Mourinho and brought in Zidane or whatever, the paper over cracks because the club isn't as well built as ours. You know, it's our club just seems to be built you know, we've got this whole youth academy, but the structure of the club, the directors of football, every, the easiest way I can sort of, uh, the analogy is, you remember the Ben Hur films? Yeah. And you had the big sweaty guy at the front banging the drums and everyone was rowing at the same time. And if you didn't, you got a big whip across the back. Now, I'm not advocating whips, but what I am saying is, that's the kind of rhythm as a whole club that we've got. And will that break down? Well, yeah, you know, t- times change, you know, football changes, the world changes. And unless you keep on top of that, you start to fall behind. And I just think there could be a time when City get relegated again. You know, nothing's impossible, as it, as they say. Colin, same question to you. When you saw the lineup, how did you imagine that Pep was going to play? I, at first, it, we thought it was a back three. We were wondering who was going to play on the right. It was obvious when they actually lined up to kick off that Stones would be playing at right back, which was a little bit worrying, but it was it was Burnley. And, and it was interesting, actually, during the game that um, on the rare occasions Burnley did come forward, Stones tended to drift back into the middle. So on on the Burnley left a couple of times, uh, there was a lot of space because Stones had almost like by instinct drifted back into the centre-back position and, and not stayed with his 
man to stop the cross or whatever. But just just going back to what you what Walter was talking about, actually, I did want to jump in. You know, Ferguson was at United for over twenty five years and he left nothing. There was no when he went, everything went with him. And you think, well, Pep may be here for five years, but when he goes, he will leave something behind. We will have continuity. And, and that's a great thing for me. Uh, you know, the, to get back to the lineup, apart from kind of trying to work out who was at right back, it was a fairly standard one for Pep, I think. Victoria, it was a frightening looking bench, wasn't it? I mean, let me just read you out the bench. <laughs> Murich, Foden, De Bruyne, De Jesus, Otamendi, Zinchenko, and Sterling. What did you think about that bench? <laughs> And what did you think? What did you think Burnley would have thought when they looked at that? Oh, I mean, it's just it, the depth of squad is is scary. It's just so ridiculous. It, it, I mean, this is what we've been working towards for a long time: is having that depth of squad. And you know, we know that Pep likes to be able to substitute players as well. It's um, yeah, I wouldn't have liked to have been uh, Burnley turning up and seeing that that was the bench. Walter? Yes? I'm just going to ask you a question. Stuart Brennan from the Manchester Evening News called one player in the first half a jinking menace. Who do you think he was referring to? Oh. A jinking to, menace. <laughs> the one I'd have to refer to for that, the one that I was definitely... I'm going to go with Sane. No, try again, mate. Uh, he's, he's not talking about Mares. I know he that. Is, he is talking about Mares. I'm telling you now, Mares didn't have a great first half. I, I'm on the side of the pitch where he is, and he ref- what he kept doing was he wouldn't take his man on. So this idea of him being a jinxing menace, I don't know which game Stuart Brennan was watching, uh-huh. what he was doing was he was pulling it and he was crossing the ball over. He did it a couple of times to Aguero, who missed mm-hmm. uh, some, you know, guys. There was the, the one went over to Silva, and then Aguero got the miss, and then there was the one where Aguero had the header as well. So I'm not quite 100% sure where um, Stuart Bennett's going with that because he didn't have the privilege of being sat right next to Mares as as I did during the game. I mean, I thought Mares had a great game, but man of the match, well, I'm not quite sure, but I think he had his best game for City. Mm-hmm. David, were you at the game or were you watching it on TV? Uh, neither, actually. We were in York for my granddaughter's 21st. Mm-hmm. Try as we may, we couldn't get... Uh, a live feed despite all the legal channels we tried um, we managed to get audio um, off uh, BBC Manchester but w- when we were sort of five minutes in um, so we we had to listen to it which is rare because in the feeds that have been able to, to look at um, can I just go back to John Stones I do believe when John Stones was at Barnsley he was a right back Mm-hmm. Before he went to, when Everton bought him, they bought him as a right back. Mm-hmm. So he, he has had previously some experience at that level. Okay. But the, the beauty of, of Pep is that he can adapt a player to virtually, and I do mean any role. You know, say jokingly, you wouldn't you wouldn't surprise you to see Edison up front or somebody else in goal if they needed to, because he believes that players can be interchangeable and should be interchangeable. And the, we're close to the perfect scenario of having two real quality players in every position mm-hmm. so that you can, if, if no matter what system you're playing, you can pull them out. Go, go back to pre-Pep days with when Manuel came. That was the start of the holistic mm-hmm. approach. I don't like using the word, but it was, <laughs> it was that, you know, every team is going to play in the same way so people can 
slot in and it's almost seamless. Can I just say something here? If you ever ever need a link to a game ever, ever again in your life, (laughs) Victoria will give you my Twitter handle and I will sort you out, okay? (laughs) <laughs> appreciate that uh, Walter I think David's been a bit unfair there I think uh, Stuart Pearce managed to get uh, David James playing up front for at least one game or part of it <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support Walter with Mares. I'm on that side of the pitch so I'm in uh, 109 so it was down the other end in the first half and because he's wearing 26 and Bernardo Silva's wearing 20, I think I got them a bit mixed up at one point but we were all saying around me that Mares. Uh, he obviously had quite a good, uh, pretty good game for us, but he does tend to cut inside all the time, which makes it easy for the defender who's uh, marking him. They keep it trying to nice show, him out, show him out onto his right foot. Um, I, I see the way they try to do that, but the, it's not easy to do that. They, they were trying to show him onto his right foot, there, but they, there was couldn't, one inter- they yeah. couldn't do it, and he kept, he kept jinking in. I agree with Stuart Brennan. So yeah, do you I guys. Think, I, I think he did. His default setting is to come inside. And there was one incident in the game where he was actually in the box and he did faint to come inside. The defender went with him and he just quickly shifted it to his right foot. And actually, it was the, the one where he had a, a shot where he would have been better off actually passing the ball. He put the shot into the side netting. But yeah. but it showed that if you, give, if you make the defender have to think about where he's going to go. It makes it much more difficult for the defender and much better for you as a forward. And, and, and I think if we can you know, make him do go to the outside a little bit more often that that will make him much much more effective but he did have a he did have a very good game for us I think Aaron Lennon was dropping back as well just to be a body in the way so you could see the full back every time he got the ball he had two defenders the easiest way to point out was how many times in that first half did he jinx past the Burnley defence? I'm not saying it was a bad game, but being jinxy, I thought Sarri on the other wing was a far more jinxy option, uh, which ultimately led to our first dwell. Victoria, 35 seconds into the game, when we were all settling down with a beer and getting ready to watch the game, Big Vince really emptied Aaron Lennon, didn't he? Yes, but I think the referee got it right. It was a yellow. It wasn't a sending off. I've watched it several times since. Um, I think obviously Aaron Lennon did have uh, a stud mark on his leg but you know Vinny's a man mountain so if he's coming charging at you at that speed then you you know but I don't think it was a red card because I don't think it was intentional so I think the referee got that decision completely right Walter um, a lot of people have been speculating about the impending arrival of either Deligt from Ajax and now also Nathan Ake from Bournemouth. Is Vincent's performance tonight the reason why that it seems that City might be looking to bring in a younger fifth um, centre-back? Well, no, you've got to plan for, plan for the future. and It's not based upon one game. I mean, the ball for Laporte was awful anyway. And for me, at the ground, I just thought, hang on a minute, you're yellow-carding him already. Uh, but when I've seen the slow-mos... It's one of those decisions. I'm telling you now, if that was a City player, I'd be fuming if the opposition player wasn't sent off. What he's done, he's blindsided him, and he's gone in, studs up to kick the ball. You can see the trajectory of his leg going up to kick the ball. But Lennon has just got in the way of that, and he's left. He's he's going to be taking lumps of skin off Lennon. And is it... Whether he meant it or not really doesn't come into the rules. What what happened here was, was it dangerous play? And I think ultimately it was. <laughs> so there's not many decisions like that that go in City's favour, I don't think. 
but I certainly think that was one. He, Vinny could have walked. Is oh. Vincent now our weakest link, or has he just not got enough game time in his legs yet? Well, funny enough, we were having this conversation at the ground on um, Saturday. He is, I think, in some ways, the weakest link. The, the team, the way we're playing... And of course, he's been out quite a lot with injury. We've left him behind because he's not as comfortable on the ball as Stones or Laporte or uh, Otamendi. And I also think that and we've seen this before in the first few minutes of games. His head's not quite there. He got sent off early at Hull for a daft tackle. He got uh, he was I think he was um, uh, when he got sent Left. off against United, which I think was a poor. Very, very poor sending off. That was in Leicester the early... away last year. Leicester away, he was a bit lucky to get away. But he was a bit lucky to get away with that. So the way we've advanced as a team, we've left him in the shadows a little bit because he's not got the the composure on the ball that the others have got. And there's this thing about him perhaps not quite getting his head into the game in the first 10, 15 minutes. To, to, to come into the argument about the card, I've seen a lot of nonsense talked about this, and I don't include the people on this podcast, uh, but <laughs> when, you actually look at the, when you actually look at the rules or the laws of the game, and the, the rule makers have got themselves in a bit of a mess here because the three classes of foul. One is careless. So to be careless, it's described as a lack of attention or consideration or acted without caution. You're not so going to get this on Vin- other podcasts, guys. This is tactical no, no, analysis. No, no, no. So did, was, was Vinny careless? Absolutely he was, yeah. But being careless doesn't involve a yellow card. We then go up to the yellow card level, which is reckless. And reckless is described as the player acted with complete disregard to the consequence to his opponent. Was Vinny reckless? Yes, I think he probably was. And certainly I was the same at what, same as Walter. In real time, I thought, it doesn't even look a foul to me. He's got the ball. But obviously, looking at the replay, yes, I think he was reckless. Then we get to the grey area, which is excessive force. Uh, and that's the criterion for a red card. Uh, and that's described as far exceeded the necessary use of force and is in danger of injuring his opponent. Now, to me, what's the difference between is in danger of injuring his opponent and acted with complete disregard to the consequence to his opponent? Because, you know, that's semantics. The question was, did Vinny use excessive force? Was it? And and I've looked throughout the day of of kind of explanation. Anyone can explain what these terms mean. They've seen various explanations, but one is, the best one I've seen is, would, if Vinny had not timed that slightly wrongly, would that have been a fair play? And the answer was probably yes. It might have been careless, but it was no more than that. So, so I'm, I'm going, and, and the referee's got to make this decision instantly. So although I don't like John Moss as a referee, uh, he's <laughs> got to make this decision very quickly. It's very early in the game. He's got to decide, was it reckless? Was it excessive force? Or was it just careless? And, and I think he's been, it might have been slightly cautious. He's gone for the middle ground. Uh, Victoria, I'm going to read you a quote from Sean Dyche and this is the man who sounds like he's never coughed in his life I'll try to do it in a Sean Dyche voice but I think I'm going to have to give give up after about three or four words okay here he goes company is out of control and he does not know where the man is okay my throat's given out he does not know where the man is or the ball it's just a throw of the leg and it is high Aaron has got a cut with two stitches in it high in his thigh it's not vicious or anything but there's no control in the challenge and we are told that that is a big thing in challenges like that so in the modern game 
that's a red card. Vic, where do you stand on that one? So, again, I still think it was a yellow. If it was the other way around, yeah, I'm pretty sure I would have wanted that Burnley player to have been sent off. But um, I have watched it several times, and I, I don't think it was a red card. I think it was a yellow. Uh, David, I'm just going to ask you that... Um, Sean Dyche is beginning to sound a lot like Mark Hughes every game, isn't he? And does anybody really think, David, that if Vinny had been sent off, we would have lost that game? I don't believe so. Colin mentioned the whole game of a few years ago where he did get sent off early and we still went on and won the game 2-0. Um, I, can, I can fully understand Sean Dyche's annoyance because when... Uh, yeah, I, I think back, I think it was Arsenal where we got an absolute tonking and had somebody, a defender sent off early doors. And the manager at the time said, it's tough enough coming here without then having to do it without one of your top def- defenders. So I can understand that's the only way that they could level up things was for us to lose a key player. And I, I would stress the key player. Vincent is a vital part of our team. And eventually, so I, as with David, we're going to have to face the future without him. But please don't advocate that future coming anytime soon because he is a leader above everything else. He sets a standard and he sets an example. And for, I mean, not, not today in particular, but I, I hear a lot of criticism of players and, and, and it's sometimes even in the ground you can hear people having a go and they pick out certain players and that person can do nothing right in their eyes. And for me, you've got that shirt on, you get behind every one of your players and nobody goes to work and day after day after day is perfect. Mm. And yet we expect it from these people that, that you know, it's their job, but they're going to make mistakes from time to time. Still was perfect. Uh, (laughs) Victoria made made a mistake once, but he didn't. Victoria also, Victoria, how many times have we seen Vinny sent off for either a good ball-winning tackle or one that only deserved a yellow at best? No, exactly. It swings and roundabouts, isn't it? There's all you know within the game with the the referee's decisions. Some sometimes it doesn't go your way. Sometimes it does. The, the key phrase is in the opinion of the referee. I just can I just tell you a quick story. When uh, Vinny was sent off against United by Chris Roy Ooh. in that cup game very early on, soon after that, Mike Riley did a presentation at the Etihad to which I was invited, and obviously that was talk, that was fairly topical, so it was talked about. And, and Mike Riley was 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 trying to stress the difficulty of trying to judge these things. And he said he said we had a meeting of, of a, a large meeting of referees. He said and we showed them that clip. And we asked them to vote whether it was not a foul, uh, a foul but no card, a foul but a yellow card, uh, or a red card. And he said they split evenly over the four options. So, you know, you wonder, you know, a lot of it's opinion, isn't it? If you've got them splitting four ways like that. On the Manchester United game, when uh, it got sent off, Rooney was responsible for that sending off. And having oh, watched yeah, Rooney actually, yeah, you game, might be right, Walter. Yeah, I've sorry. never sorry, seen David. a better man-marking example. He was never more than 10 feet from the referee all the way through that game. <laughs> what, what swung it for me was Nanny didn't even appeal for the foul, and that was a man who loved to appeal for a foul. Mm. It was I could, I, Even to this day, I can see Rooney doing his job perfectly, bouncing up and down as he did waving this imaginary card and just when he pulled out you could hear the gasp in the crowd it was like I can't believe that 
a player's been sent off. I don't even think he touched none. He just took the ball. And it was... Ball, um, yeah. at, at the time, there was a big thing about if you both feet are off the ground, you're out of control. That was, that was the sort of standard media line. And Vincent Company's feet were off the ground. He wasn't going in. He had them kind of bent. And he just took the ball, didn't touch Nanny. And Rooney was jumping up and down, both feet off the ground. And the, he made the referee's mind up for him on that day. Mm-hmm. OK, everybody, let's uh, just stop yeah. there and uh, move on. So goal number one, 17 minutes in. Walter, again, we had this, another example of this wonderful interplay between Leroy and David Silva again to set up Aguero for the first goal. Could you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we're talking, as Stuart Brennan was saying, about a jinxy winger. And uh, Leroy Sarney was jinxy in the box. I heard it described perfectly as uh, it's like playing football in a telephone box. You've got that sort of limited amount of room. He's seen Silver, and when Silver gets the ball, I have no idea. It's like one of these heat-seeking missiles that he fires across across to Aguero. There is four Burnley players on the six-yard box, and you've got Aguero a foot off the six-yard box, and it just fires between all the Burnley players lands at Aguero's feet, who's, who's under a challenge at the time, and he just bangs that in the back of the net, and Joe Hart thumps the ball out, he's all upset like he is, but he didn't stand a chance. Absolute just perfection, because as a Burnley fan, you sat there, and you must be thinking, everything's set up right, Dice must be happy, there's plenty of bodies in the box, there's plenty of people around, but it's just the level of skill that, you know, Sane and Silva and Aguero seem to possess in small moments like that, that gets the goal. And once you get the goal down at the Etihad, you know, heads have got to drop. You know, it's just, you know what's coming. And then you know you've got to leave gaps if you want to get anything out of the game. So that was the important goal. 17 minutes in, it was just great, wasn't it? Victoria, after that goal, of course, uh, we were all thinking après la déluge that there was going to be this absolute, you know, what Walter described as the um, the borders breaking and City were going to go through there. But, you know, I don't know about you, Vic, but after that, I just thought there was a little bit too much messing about, too many stray passes, wastefulness, and we ended up going in at halftime 1-0 up. Were you a little bit frustrated as well after the first goal? Uh, no, not at all, but... I'll pass that question to Walter or Colin, who were at the match, um, because unfortunately I wasn't able to see this one. I was only listening via audio, so certainly didn't get that impression. I mean, it was we had a few more chances. We should be a few more confident that we'd come out after half time and and score a few more. I didn't see that. Didn't hear that Burnley were any kind of challenge to us whatsoever. I think Edison might be putting in a request to play up front. Yeah, I mean the, the, mind. The, the the main chance we had was that header from the free kick early on after Vinny's yeah. uh, yellow card. But I, I'd agree with you. The first half was a a, a bit the good, the bad, and the ugly. With with kind of because Aguero had that header um, very early on, which he should have got, should have scored with. Yeah, he certainly should have got on target. Um, there was another chance later on where uh, Morris threw threw another crossing. I think it was Morris threw another crossing, and, yeah, and the was. ball was at head. The ball was at head height, but he sort of jumped up to play it with his foot. And when you do that, you take some of the kind of power off the ball. You cushion it, uh, and I think he should have gone for that with his. He obviously made a decision. He was going to go for it with his foot. But he should have gone for it with his head. Uh, and I think that would have been a goal as well. But yeah, there were a lot of passes went astray that first half, and after the. Uh, but before and after the first goal, we were, you know, we were 
there was that element of being a little bit wasteful in front of goal, and uh, and we did kind of, I think we did slack off a bit. It was very noticeable when we came out for the second half that the attitude had changed completely. Well, wasn't Vinny's yellow card a result of a bad pass anyway? Yeah. That's kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. his foot was that high up because the pass wasn't great coming over to him. But but a couple of things in the first half I, I picked up on. Um, Edison. He was causing Burnley all sorts of problems. And I think Edison is the new Colin Bell because he can ping a ball 60, 70 yards onto someone's foot um, and, it, and it, it falls dead. And, and there was a couple of things very early on in that game because the first 10 minutes were quite explosive. And very early on, he played that ball right upfield to Aguero, didn't he? Um, right onto his foot, 60 yards it must have been. And then there was another incident later on in the game where... And Burnley were a bit funny because last season I thought Burnley were very good because they pressed us virtually the whole game. So they had that four, their forward three pressing our defence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they only seemed to do it intermittently on um, Saturday. But once when they did it and we had the ball at the back, it was wonderful to see the way we took, uh, we created a space down the middle. And Edison just saw it and found it, another 20, 30 yard pass. Uh, straight down the middle, I think, to Fernandinho, who moved it straight on. Uh, and Edison was giving Burnley a, l- a lot of problems in that first half. Colin, could I just jump in and ask you guys, uh, I want to do a quick shout-out for my new favourite Twitter follower. And his name is Bored Ederson. His name is <laughs> at Bored Ederson. Now, guys, oh, yeah. the, 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 reason, guys one, yeah. the, the reason why this is so funny, Walter, if you've never seen this before... You're watching the game and you're following it on Twitter at the same time. Then suddenly you'll see this uh, tweet from Board Ederson and you'll see a tweet like, has anyone got a jigsaw puzzle? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, then, and, then, and then 10 minutes later, you got another one saying, peckish here, lads. Could you throw us down a bolty pie? <laughs> no, I mean, Ed- Edison is, uh, I mean, I, I agree with Colin there just in terms of people say to me, De Gea is the best keeper in the world. And in many respects, he is. But what a swapping for Edison, I certainly wouldn't. Because Edison at United wouldn't be half the keeper he is, but De Gea with us wouldn't be half the keeper he is either because <laughs> we're playing different sports in some respects, you know, for that goalkeeping position. I mean, I think De Gea would be a better shop stopper because he's used to it and he's getting a lot of that. But Edison, oh, the, the guy's the most dangerous with the ball at his feet. And you can see sometimes when he's taking a goal kick, Aguero will stand... 15, 20 yards offside just to sort of flummox the whole sort of Burnley defence who have pushed up. I think he's a, a freak of nature and I absolutely love him. Guys, can I give you a few um, statistics on Ederson? That's his fifth clean sheet in succession. He's a joint top of the Golden Glove race with six shutouts in nine. Premier League games. He's now neck and neck, or should we say neck and tattooed neck, with Liverpool's Allison, and well on the way to topping last season's total of 16 clean sheets. Ederson, though, is edging the race against Allison because he also has one assist this campaign, and in his last 45 Premier League games for Man City, can anybody guess how many clean sheets that he has managed in 45 Premier League games so far with City? 28. Okay, other guys, Victoria? 32. David? 24. The answer is 22. My next question, guys, how many hours exactly has it been since he last conceded a league goal? It's five and a half, um, five and a half yeah, says Walter. 
No, it's longer than that. It's about um, eight hours, isn't it? Anybody else? Seven. The answer is eight and a half hours. Oh. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? When you think he's level with Alisson, another, the other Brazilian goalkeeper, there was a time when Brazilian goalkeepers were, you know, <laughs> good Brazilian goalkeepers were, were about as, as uh, common as fast Italian wingers, you know, mm. in, in, the, uh, in the 70s and 80s. Guys, yeah, in, the, yeah, yeah. In, in added time, at the end of the first half, all of the newspapers are agreed that City should have doubled the lead when Bernardo's cross found the head of Silva, and though Hart parried the ball to his left, a lot of the guys are saying that Aguero missed an open goal. From a tight angle, although it was a tight angle, this is just before the whistle was blown. Do any of you guys remember that moment? Yeah, he was offside, actually. Yeah. A- another, you know, instance of poor officiating, which we'll probably talk about later. He yeah. was... He was, it wasn't close. He was well... When Silva headed that ball, he was in an offside position and therefore offside. OK. Guys, moving into the second half, we have a question from one of our listeners. And the question is for Walter, so I, I guess we better address it to Walter. And, Walter, the question is, are we the best? Because unlike the rest of the sides in the Premier League, who would be lucky to have one or two, City actually have a team full of lock pickers and tin openers. For example, Silva and Silva and Foden centrally, Mares, Sterling, Mendy and Sani from the wings, and even from the back, Stones, Laporte and even Ederson, City are a team full of lock pickers and tin openers. What do you think that means, Walter, and how would you answer it? Uh, I could say, it's, a, it's a funny expression, but I, could, I know exactly well, where do, the... Do, who, who was it that, was it Peter Swales described them as they could open a tin of peas with the left foot? Was it Alan Ball or someone like that? Well, a, a City player, I can't remember who it was, but... Back to Walter, lock pickers and tin <laughs> openers. Lock pickers and tin openers, that's a wonderful phrase, Walter. What do you think? Well, when you're talking about being able to pickpocket, I thought uh, Liverpool might have 11 in there. <laughs> <laughs> you probably want to cut that bit out so I don't get No, I am not going to pick. I'm not. I'm... Um, I mean, I, I could see, we're talking about creative players and players that are good on the ball and players that can um, find space and players that can play that decisive pass and in the olden days, going back, you used to think your, your fancy damn players, especially in the English league, weren't up for a, a bit of a fight, as it were, the dogs of war. And that's one of the reasons I feel that England fell behind sort of in world football because it was all blood and thunder. And, uh, you know, you got the rise of your likes of Gerard and Terry and even going back, you know, to your soonesses. And that will take you to a certain level, but football moved on. And Pep Guardiola is the perfect sort of um, picture of how it could be moved on, whether that was with his Barcelona teams, whether his uh, Bayern Munich teams, or now with this Manchester City team. We're talking about finely tuned athletes who will play every game as if they are the underdog. Um, will not take, will not give a, give a step. But what they've also, I mean, just look at David Silva. This is a player with um, the most sort of unique skill set for spatial awareness that I've ever seen. That was his sort of um, main quality. But now he's got that, but he's also a nasty little get on the pitch and he will stick a foot in, just as will Kevin De Bruyne, Fernandinho, uh, Aguero, 
they will fight for every inch on that pitch. And so we've got both sides of the coin now, as it were. We've got these players that will go on and do these magnificent things, but will also be stand up and be counted against Burnley, whether it's Burnley or against the bigger teams. These are players that don't go missing. You know, you look at Sterling, you know, and for all his critiques, Sterling will chase back. I watched Sarney chase back 70 yards the other day and get stuck in and prevent just put, just by putting a body in the way. So, yes, we do have a, a lot of lot pickers, so to speak, but they've also now got two sides to that coin, which only benefits us. Victoria, so going into the second half, Bernie were 1-0 down, and then they went 2-3 and three down within only 115 seconds between City's second and third goals. Now, Victoria, let's go to the big controversy in the game. On, on the 54th minute, there's somebody who has the handle of decaf skinny flat white, and he said, that was the first time I saw a team appealing because the referee had not awarded penalty against them. <laughs> now, here's the question, Victoria. Was justice served? Because, of course, Leroy Sane went down in the area under a challenge by Jack Cork. Referee John Moss put the whistle in his mouth. He didn't blow. The Burnley defence stopped. Silva, as he did against Hoffenheim, he was in there, nabbed the ball before it ran out of play or after it ran out of play, depending on how you saw that. Cross for Bernardo to sweep home. Victoria, on the whole controversy of the second goal, what do you think? Well... First and foremost, you play to the whistle. So more for the Burnley players for their reaction. And again, it's one of those things that it could easily have gone in our favour or in their favour. But you do play to the whistle. That's first and foremost. And the Burnley players didn't do that. Don't think it was a penalty on Sane. Um, Jack Cork's reaction was to immediately put both hands up. Like, whoa, whoa, nothing to do with me, mate. Not me, not me. That's the action of a player who knows he's made a mistake. C- could I yeah. just ask you, Sean Dyche, old sandpaper throat there, was protesting on the bench. Now, Colin, was he protesting because A, the game had been stopped, or B, that the ball had gone behind before Silva nabbed it? I, well, he was just protesting because it's an irritating ginger twunt, if you excuse the expression. <laughs> twunt but... is a word I've never heard before. That's a new one for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a halfway can, house yeah. <laughs> an, an allowable halfway house um, I, I don't know well I'm not sure what he was protesting about to be honest but I, it was right in front of me when I sit and when Sane went down I thought uh, Cork clipped his ankles uh, and I, I was watching the ref because he's got to give a penalty and he put his whistle to his lips and he went to move his arm and then all of a sudden he decided it wasn't a penalty and by the time I was watching John Moss the ball was in the back of the net. So I had no idea what actually happened. <laughs> Obviously, saw it afterwards. Um, so I don't know what he was protesting about because he couldn't have seen that ball had gone. At the time, the, the guys who sit with me said that ball was well out. Looking at the... It's one of those things that people don't, again, don't understand. The whole of the ball has to cross the line. So you, you may get the ball in contact only with grass at the bit where it's at the bottom. But if there's any intersection of the line, then the ball is in play. And having seen the highlights on City's official website, um, the angle of the camera suggests that ball was still in play when Silver played it. Now, the other problem was Silver was offside. Uh, no, he was. He was. He was. He you was watch it, on... Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. No. Oh, my Sane gosh. Disagreement here on the, the BFTB pod. I love it. <laughs> 
Guys, we'll stop it here so that Walter and Colin can go and have their dust up outside. But uh, that's the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two. Myself, suddenly I'm a bomb.